All right, morning, everybody. For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before today, I'd love to meet you after the service as we have our snack time afterwards. That'd be great. And so if you didn't know, if you came not knowing we have food afterwards, you're welcome. So um, double bonus at church today. I, I want to just say uh, from last week, thank you to everybody who came out and helped with Bounce Mania. Uh, God was good to us. There was only the tiniest bit of rain with like 15 minutes left. And it actually stopped by the time we started tearing down the other bouncy houses. So God was good, and so many people came out. And it was great. I saw people uh, from the community uh, got to explain a million times that we're the fourth thing in Green Bank. (laughs) So there's the post office, the gardens, the farm, and us. So that was fun. But, (laughs) well, I usually put us first because we had our T-shirts on, but, you know, part of the joke was sometimes putting us last. So, but the gardens are really great. So, (laughs) anyway, uh, Bo, he gave me this note to read to you all to to thank you, so I'm just going to read it, but just sort of picture a beard and slightly older. So, here, this is from Bo. To all who helped, thank you, one and all, for helping Sunday to make Bounce Mania a great success. I believe we exceeded last year's total in attendance. Just seeing all the happy smiles on the faces of the little ones makes, all, makes it all worth the effort and time doing it. Plus, all the thanks we received from the moms and the dads. And a special thanks to all who took part in the takedown that's There wasn't like a rumble. That was like taking the bouncy houses down. That's what... Sorry, I had to do that one for Bo. Uh, I was home by 5.30 p.m. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May the Lord bless you all, Bo. So, again, just thank you. It's just a wonderful time to show our love to the community in a pretty simple way. And uh, it it was really great, and it was well-received by the community. So thank you to you all uh, for helping with that. So with that being said, let's turn to Philippians. In the book of Philippians, it's going to be on page 980. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, we're going to be at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And uh, wait for it. Don't give my surprise away, Isaac, there. <laughs> so, There's one command in our text for today. And the command is to live a life worthy of the gospel. And the question today then is, what is a life that we live in response to the good news that Jesus died for us? The good news that while we were still sinners and enemies of God, Jesus came down, was born, lived among us, and died and rose again for us. It gives a little more teeth to the idea of living a life worthy of the gospel. 
that, that we must live lives in response to the amazing news that someone else paid the penalty of my sin so I could be forgiven, reconciled to the God who created me, and have the hope of eternal life. In some sense, we can never live a life worthy of the gospel. But it's our goal to strive towards that. But to understand what that means for us today, how that changes and transforms our lives, to live a life worthy of the gospel, I'm going to give you a sports metaphor. Now let me first of all say as a disclaimer, number one, if this is your first time here, I rarely use sports. For me, just to put it in perspective, the only time I was allowed on the football field was halftime. Think about it. Think about it. There it is. (laughs) But today, Paul uses sports words. And so I want to give you a vivid sports picture to help you understand what a life that's worthy of the gospel is. So now, Isaac, let's get us that first picture. Go Hawks. But the church is like the offensive line. These massive men, and I checked the stats, all of them are six foot three or taller, and all of them exceed 300 pounds. These gigantic men are you. So I just want you to think about yourself as a six foot three, 300 pound man to help you understand what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. So, put your helmet on, put your pads on, and get ready to get hit by God's word this morning because those men are a picture of the church. Because what we're going to learn today is that we live a life worthy of the gospel through living and serving together while enduring hardship without fear. So let's first look at verse 27 of standing together. Follow along as I read. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So again, this picture of the offensive line. One of the jobs of the offensive line is to protect the quarterback. That's why they get the big guys, because the other team is running at them, trying to get through to tackle the quarterback. Pretty simple. And how do they do that? They stand together. We are called as the church to stand together. Look at verse 27 again. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, what does it mean to stand firm? Does that mean that we should not Uh, move when we're singing, that we should be 
standing very still during our services. Here's a couple things that I think it means. One, that we stand up for the truth. Christianity believes in truth. That truth can be known and that truth doesn't change. Obviously, there are different opinions about truth in our world. And so one of the ways we stand firm is we stand up for what we know is true and right. Because we believe that God has revealed it to us in his never-changing word. So there's a sense of where we, we stand up and we're not moved in our understanding of the truth. And it also means we must courageously speak the truth. Truth is not always popular. Ask any child that. <laughs> they don't want to hear what you have to say. In fact, they may just run away. I don't know if you ever had a kid do that. I love that. When I'm talking to a kid, sharing some truth, maybe it's one of my kids, who knows? And they just run away because they don't want to hear it. <laughs> but standing firm is standing up and speaking the truth even when it's unpopular. Secondly, standing firm is, is persevering and living a godly life. How we are called to live as Christians will not always be how everyone else is living. Now, in some ways, that's pretty simple. And some of us, probably most of us, know that experientially. That the way I live as a Christian is different than how my neighbor lives as, as not a believer in Jesus. And again, just as speaking the truth is not always popular, living the truth is not always popular. And there are pressures to conform to the ethics of others instead of living according to the word of God. And so we stand firm in how we know we are called to live. But why stand firm? Why do we need to stand firm? I think the Bible is pretty clear that there are opponents of the truth. That there are those who do not want us to speak the truth, who do not want us to live a godly life. I can think of three opponents of the gospel that I think I see in Scripture. Number one is, is unbelievers. That there are many believers, unbelievers who do not want us to live according to the Bible or speak according to the Bible. Secondly, there are insiders who actually are opponents of the gospel. These are false teachers who claim the name of Jesus, but who want really nothing to do with him. And then there's also the internal opponent. This one's a crafty one. This is my selfish, sinful nature that doesn't want to live according to God's word, that wants to live my own way. And so we have these forces coming at us that we need to stand firm against. Again, to think of this 
football metaphor. That these opponents of the gospel are like the defense running at us, trying to knock us down to get the ball. And so we need to stand firm. But let me say this about these opponents, because I want to be careful not to create an us-versus-them mentality. I don't want to create an angry or a bitter relationship, because the solution to every single opponent of the gospel is the loving proclamation of the gospel. That those who are not believers who oppose the truth of the Bible... The solution is not bitterness and anger at them. The solution is to share the love of Jesus with them. That those who are false teachers who seek to be wolves in sheep's clothing in the church, that the answer to them is not anger, it's not bitterness, but it's sharing the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That there is forgiveness in the cross. And even that third opponent, ourselves, our sinful nature. The answer to that opponent is the loving, gracious forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But that message will not always be heard. And so again, we stand firm to resist those attacks. But not only do we stand firm, it's more than that. It's not, it's not just, just me standing up against the forces that want to do me harm. We stand as a church together. Look at the text again. Verse 27. I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Again, to think of this metaphor with the offensive line. An offensive line doesn't work with one person. Okay, if the Seahawks just put their center out there and he snapped the ball to the quarterback, finally got his contract, right? He's obviously going to lose every time because the other side has more people. doesn't matter how good he is. He may be the best center in the whole league, But if it's five on one, the one loses every single time. And so how does the offensive line work? It's that each individual player is part of one whole. And they work together. We as the church are individuals. We have personal faith in Christ. But we are together as a team. And if we try to stick it out on our own, we're going to fail. We need each other. We need to have one spirit, as in acting as one person, having the common goals. But in wording it this way, he also reminds us that our unity comes through the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit unites us as a church. Do you see there's a real bond between us as believers? In fact, Ephesians 4 
verse 3 says that we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That our unity in standing together is not based on our making. God has brought us together. God has joined us as believers in Jesus. I think that's why some of the harshest language is for those who want to break up the body of Christ. Let me read to you from Titus chapter 3, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's, that's pretty harsh. That is God saying, look, I am so in love with you as a church that I have brought you together, and what God has joined together, let not man separate. There's a sense in where we have been brought together by God. So it's bigger than our opinions, our preferences. And it's more important because God has done it. And so we all need to take our place as a part of one team. But we don't just stand together. We don't just defend the truth and stand up for the truth, we also serve together. Again, look at the rest of chapter 20, uh, verse 27 there. So I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The word striving there is a word that would be used uh, in wrestling contexts. In, in, in books outside of the Bible. It could also actually be used of uh, the gladiator arena. This idea of striving, of putting forth this huge amount of effort. It's a very athletic term. But the, the understanding here is that we have a job to do and we can only do it together. That, again, to go back to this football metaphor, the, the offensive line protects the ball and protects the quarterback, but the offensive line also pushes forward so that the running back can run forward. There's this idea that there's both a protection, a defense, and an offense, that we are to go forward with the gospel, but we have to do it together. Again, if you do any coaching with football, you know that the offensive line has to have the same plan, because if everyone does their own plan, it doesn't work and the defense wins. So again, we have a job together. We are partners in the gospel together. We don't just get together to hang out with our friends. That's one part of the church, the fellowship of the church, that we have real community here, but we are an active community. But to be an active community, 
We have to be active together. We have to join in working for the gospel. And that we have one mind. That we are completely focused on our mission to proclaim the good news that God saves sinners. See, I think a lot of churches get in trouble when they forget about this part of the church unity. And as, as my friend once put it, they start acting more like a country club where people come and gather and have a fun time, but there's nothing more. But there is something more. We are called as a community to together spread the gospel, that each of us has a part to play. It's not just me, it's not just you, it's all of us together working for the spread of the gospel. But why? Why does it need to be together? Why is that so important? Let me read to you from Galatians chapter 6. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So why would Paul have a command about not being weary about doing the right thing? He has this command because we get weary of doing the right thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. Let's not pretend. Ministry and commitment to ministry can be hard, can be difficult. When we do it week after week, month after month, we can get weary and tired. But God has given us each other to lean on for encouragement, to be provoked to continue on? Have you ever thought that you're like the personal trainer to your friends? You're the personal trainer for Jesus for your friends that keep you going when you don't want to keep doing the exercise. <laughs> God has given us each other for our good and for the spread of the gospel. And when we stand together and when we serve together, we can live without fear. Look at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. When you walk up to somebody, I mean, someone you know, and, and you want to invite them to church or talk to them about Jesus or share about your own faith, there's fear. But one of the antidotes to fear that God has given us is each other. There's a boldness in numbers that we can have. Here, here's something I've convinced of. That, that I might not just walk into a new place 
and feel comfortable. But if I walk into a new place with a friend, I can go almost anywhere. Because we're together. And so we, when we serve together, when we know that the rest of the church is serving God in a sometimes hostile world, we can have that boldness that I'm not the only one. That, that people are there to help me and support me and to love me. Even when I feel attacked in every part of my life. That we can, when we're together in a real way, there are very few things that will intimidate us. So we don't have anything to fear when, when we know that God has joined us together as believers in Christ. We can live boldly. Here's the crazy thing about not being frightened is that God has given us boldness in the face of opposition as a sign of our salvation. When we stand up boldly to the opponents of people who are just against Jesus, it's a sign to us, it's evidence to us that we belong to Christ. So look at verse 28 again. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. So one, we see that if someone is an opponent of Christ, that they are active in their rejection of him, that's evidence to them that they will not be saved by Jesus. If someone is always opposing you, standing up for the truth of the Bible and the fact that Jesus is the Savior, it shows them that they don't belong to him, but it shows you that you do. And it's a piece of evidence that you can hold on to in your life, a clear sign when you stand up for the gospel. And so when we stand together, when we serve together, we can live without fear, but we can also endure suffering. Look at verse 29 to 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now again, thinking of this idea of the church as a football team. Football's a rough sport. Okay, you can just, you don't even need to play it. Like, you just watch a couple, you know. But one of the things that, that I would think, and I actually checked this with some people who played football that I know, one of the worst things you can do is to play football and not think you're going to get hit. Okay, that might be a shock. Like you stand out there and all of a sudden someone comes, wham, just knocks you down. That would be bad. 
But hopefully that wouldn't happen because you recognize you are playing football where people tackle you, so you should probably be ready to be tackled. Make sense? It's a contact sport, and when you know that going in, you can be ready for the contact. Life, in some cases, and in a certain way, is a contact sport. And we need to be ready if and when that hit comes. And most of us have already been hit a couple times with some big hits. But how do we prepare for that? We, we need to understand a theology of suffering. And, and part of it is just expecting it will happen. Do not let suffering surprise you. That is the worst thing you could do. We live in a fallen, broken world, and suffering is real. And so the first thing you need to know is that if you haven't really experienced it, you, you will. And be prepared. But further than that is look how Paul understands suffering in these verses. It has been granted to you. Suffering can be a gift from God when you suffer for Christ. When you suffer because you are standing firm in the faith and in the truth, suffering for Jesus is a gift. Look how much of a gift it is. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul says, think about the gift of God's grace. Think about the gift of your salvation that Jesus has saved you when you've placed your faith in him. In the same way that that is a gift, God has given you suffering for Christ in the same way. We need to understand why suffering can be a gift from God in the same way that our salvation is. The first way that suffering for Christ can be a gift from God is that suffering for doing good, for following Jesus, conforms us more to the character of Jesus. God will use hardship in your life that you experience because of your faith in Jesus to make you more like Jesus, which is the greatest gift that you can get. The goal of our lives, in fact, is to be conformed and molded to be more like Jesus. 
And so in that way, even suffering can be a gift when we suffer for doing the right things because it makes us more like Jesus. Secondly, suffering for Jesus is a gift because through our suffering for Jesus, God spreads the good news of Jesus. We saw this last week in our text where Paul says, hey, when I got thrown in prison, I just shared the gospel with the, with the prison guys. And so suffering, even suffering can be a gift because God can use it to bring someone else to saving faith in Christ. That the hardship you're going through right now is an instrument in God's hand to bring someone forgiveness and eternal life. That when we suffer not for sin, but when we suffer for doing the right thing, God uses that for his glory and to bring a sinner to saving faith. And that turns it into a gift. And he knows this. And he encourages them. Look at, verse, look at verse 30. Because he has suffered for the sake of Christ. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. And he has seen God use his suffering to spread the gospel and to make him more like Jesus. And he says, when you Philippians suffer for Christ in the same way, verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, when you suffer for Jesus like I have and God uses that to make you more like Jesus and to spread the gospel, we're on the same team. And again, there's encouragement in others. If I know someone has gone through it, I know I can get through it too. That if I've been through something, I can say to someone who's currently in that hardship, you know, God brought me through and he's going to bring you through too. There's this, we're on Team Jesus together when we suffer for Jesus. And so we can endure. We can stand up when it's not popular we can have endurance because it's not just you versus the world. You have a whole team with you, striving with you, enduring with you, persevering with you. And when we strive together, we can persevere so that we don't grow weary of doing good, that we support one another in the good times and the bad. And that through our work together, God will save sinners just like he has always done. And so when the world seems like it is just in utter chaos and there is nothing that can stop 
the brokenness and the evil that exists in this world. And that when we are tempted to be overwhelmed by what can I do against that? The question isn't what can I do? The question is what is God going to use the church to do? Because you are not alone. Right here we have your teammates in the gospel. And God will use all of his people to do what he wants to do. And so we can stand together. We can stand as a unified community of faith so that we can persevere in what we know to be the truth so that we can push out with the gospel into a fallen and broken world and that we can do so without fear and with boldness knowing God has given us each other for our good and his glory. We live a life worthy of the gospel when we recognize that our faith is a team sport. Let me give you four points of application here as we close up this morning. Number one, we need to stand as a unified church. None of us has a chance without each other. I need you, you need me, we all need this church. And so we need to protect the unity of this church. Secondly, we need to serve together and be about the same mission of spreading the gospel. We need to have a focus in the gospel, but we also need to join together to spread the gospel. It's not just up to one or two or three people. It's up to all of us to be of one mind, that we are dedicated to that central mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we stand together, we serve together, And because we have each other and because our God is sovereign over all things, we do not need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. God has given us a church to lean on each other. And so we can boldly engage in the mission of the church without fear. And fourth, we must be ready to endure suffering. I'm not going to lie to you and say that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ that your life will be easy. But we need to be ready for when suffering does come. Now again, we are very blessed to live in a world where in a country where, where persecution in many ways is not as harsh as it is in other parts of the world. But persecution and hardship have many forms 
and we need to be prepared for them all. Again, not afraid of it, but boldly enduring and persevering. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. To stand together for the truth. To live for spreading the gospel and doing so without fear and while enduring hardship. That is a life worthy of our salvation. And we can do it because God has given us each other to support and encourage and hold accountable each other. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us what a life worthy of your grace looks like. God, that we would, because you sent your son to die for us, that we would stand together for the truth, that we would serve together so that good news of salvation is spread throughout the world. And God, that we would do so without fear, even in the midst of suffering. God, that you would protect the unity of this church that you would cause us to be united in your spirit. That we would have one goal and be of one mind of making disciples of Jesus Christ. God, empower us by your spirit to live a life worthy of the gospel. And we thank you for this community you've given us to obey that command. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite those who are helping to serve communion uh, to come forward at this time.